players gather to cast powerful spells. Some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Doomsday, Fastest Oracle, Angel's Grace, and many others. Battling head to head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory, yo. yo. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Raw on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 61 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, anything but a legacy. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How y'all doing tonight? I am excited to not talk about Legacy, Phil. Format sucks. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's cool because because we're gonna get changes to the to the format, right? Like, <laughs> maybe. Uh, while I don't share the format sucks opinion, I'm also excited to talk about vintage and modern and like whatever else. We'll talk about Legacy a little bit, but. This is primarily not a legacy episode. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about modern. Um, I, I guess I'll just start talking. While while these two were playing in Eternal Weekend, I just like dicked around all weekend and played played modern. I recorded seven leagues over the extended weekend, and it, it it just felt good. Like just casually as I wanted to, I just fired up modern leagues and burned through them. Yeah, modern rules so hard. I get excited every time I get asked to play it. I played a local event recently, uh, a paper team event, and I was in the modern seat. And the games were all just really good. Like the the power level of modern. I mean, we'll talk about this later. But Modern Horizons Two, while it was a paradigm shift, like it just cranked the the power dial beyond ten. Everyone got a toy, so it's like everyone is just firing space lasers now. Oh, oh, God! Yeah, the de the decks are so good. Every everything is stupid. What's going on in your lives? We'll get into that later. Um. All right. I guess I'll start. Um. So I'm a teacher. I got a long Thanksgiving break. Like, I I got done work done working Tuesday and didn't report back in until Monday. And I and I needed that. Like, I haven't had a chunk of time just like truly off in a long time. And I just like played a lot of Magic. Um, I played the Binding of Isaac Repentance for Switch, which recently came out, and it's so good, and it's everything that I wanted. So my week was just like, eat food, drink, record video, play Dungeons and Dragons, repeating in some order, with the drinking always coming after the recording, because I'm not a total mad lad. Nice. Yeah, that sounds really nice. And as someone who worked in education for 10 years, and now no longer works in education, it's it's both like shock. It's kind of shocking to me to hear you talk about like, oh yeah, it's that you know, winter's coming, end of fall. Everyone can see Christmas break or holiday break on the horizon, and we're we're all just dragging. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do remember that. I'm so it's it's so nice to be somewhere else, not to rub it in your face, but just like, uh, being an educator was just like so such a big part of my life for so long. And I'm like, oh yeah, it would be that time of year, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's 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 teaching garbage time. Teaching garbage time happens in December and like second half of May, where you're kind of going through the motions to get over the finish line. March is like 
the trail of tears please don't cancel me for saying that but like march is like uh there's no breaks there's nothing to look forward to there's no holidays that is a full month of you're in the classroom five days a week and march sucks (laughs) march was always my worst month when i was in the in the schools my my school has a couple of random days off in march to uh combat that exact thing because it's well known yes good job well played invent a holiday i don't give a shit let us out so speaking of you were talking about catching up on video games phil uh while i was playing in the pair of eternal weekends you know how we're always recording videos with our free time and sometimes other stuff gets left behind because we're too busy recording videos well i had a stack of comic books that i like i would look at it and be like i should probably read one of these just so this pile goes down and then next month's shipment would come in between the six Eternal Weekend events that I played, every round I just read another comic book, and I completely erased my pile uh, by the end of it. So I was pretty excited by that. I'm looking over there now, and it's just empty. It's a plant. I am so excited for you that you got to do that. Like, that's so gratifying. Like, it just feels good to just, like, kick back and, like, do the things that have been on your Eternal to-do list. Especially it's fun. Like, the... I- like, I I feel it, but it sucks. Like, the idea of looking at a pile of something you enjoy and being like, oh, God. Like, it becomes a chore. Like, when you get the backlog and then you're like, oh, I got to play my way through this game or I got to read all those damn comic books that I love. Like, being able to, like, find the time and stop being an adult and just do it. I did a similar thing. I had been meaning to watch uh, the anime One Piece, which uh, a friend of mine, uh, Calvin... Hodges shout out to Calvin he posts about it all the time like he's really into it and I generally trust his taste in things and One Piece is one of those like hundreds of episodes things that just exist sir it's over a thousand oh is it good yeah so (laughs) thousands of episodes in between rounds of Eternal Weekend I only played four of the events I didn't get all six in and we'll talk about what else I did uh shortly but in the four events I played Netflix has the first four seasons of One Piece, which seasons, it's all made up. There's like 100 episodes per season. Who who knows what that means? But I had it on at 1.5 speed and just shredded through like two or three episodes in between each round of all four tournaments. And I'm like 50 episodes in at this point. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I'm not sure that I'm in love with the show, but it was the perfect sort of thing that like you can put on at 1.5 speed and just let it run while you sit in your chair waiting for a magic tournament to fire. I always feel awkward for, sorry to always talk about being a content creator, everyone, but when you're streaming live to Twitch, you finish your round and you go, okay, there's 35 minutes left. What can I fit in? And then you try to start another match, but then you get paired against someone that's just like in the middle of taking a dump or walking their dog and you don't really know what they're doing, but they're taking forever. And before you know it, you're double queuing. Watching that gives me anxiety. And when you're recording magic for YouTube, you just don't have any of that. You get to relax for that time in between. And it's just a very different experience as the content creator. Yeah. When I was streaming live, I never got into a groove where I was okay with like dead air or okay with living my life just on the stream. Because like the really comfortable streamers, you see them, they're just like, all right, we're between rounds. I'm going to go grab some food. And then they're just streaming an empty chair for like six or seven minutes while they go make a bowl of cereal. They come back in the room. They just kick back, eat their cereal, read the chat, whatever. Like I never hit that level of comfort. Every night that I streamed, I was just like starving and my head hurt because I didn't eat. And I was just constantly 
dancing and like yeah it i I never found that groove so uh for my life updates they'll be pretty quick and as always they're probably about some bad tv show i'm watching hawkeye came out and they released the first two episodes i didn't look at anything about it before just watching the first two i didn't want it to be ruined for me but i did read the comic book comics that came out in 2013 it was like 2013 and 2014 they won best comic back-to-back year and that's why i started reading them the intro animations of the show are directly out of the comic books which i thought was just like super sweet it's like the same illustrator and the same style so that's kind of cool it also has kate bishop in it if you're into that the plot not so much uh but so far so good i definitely recommend checking it out i didn't read the comic books and i did watch the two episodes and i enjoyed them and then uh the next thing i'm just like a decade behind probably even more on this uh my wife was like you know you would really like brooklyn 99 if you would just sit down and watch it and i was like it's like 10 seasons who has time for that and she's like you do we're gonna watch brooklyn 99 and now we're four and a half seasons in, and I just like can't wait to watch another episode every night. Yeah, that's a good one. That's in that that space of like Shit's Creek or whatever. That's just like a many season show that you can put on when you have twenty minutes, and you'll be happy with the time you spent. But it's also not like cliffhangers. It's not story driven. It's not like Breaking Bad where you just want to fire up the next one immediately, and you're like grumpy when you have to go to bed. Like it's it's nice. Love it. I won't lie. I think the reason why I never watched it was I assumed that it was the same thing as Reno 911. And I was like, that show looks really stupid. I'm just not going to watch any of these cop shows. Yeah, Reno 911 was ahead of its time and somehow also behind its time. I still regularly say I'm just goofing, new boot goofing, anytime I put boots on. And nobody ever gets the reference. And by your two faces right now, neither do you. No, I mean, I have watched individual episodes of that show while channel surfing, but uh, not was not a fan. Yeah, it, it's something. All right. Uh, anyone else uh, want to say anything about life updates or should we uh, just get into it? I just want to say I hosted Thanksgiving for 11 people, myself included, two sides of the family, girlfriend's family, my family, everyone's parents in the same room. My grandma was there and it was a smashing success, I will say. Um, my first attempt at a turkey came out a little dry. We used an oven bag, which is like a tried and true secret. Uh that not everyone does it like keeps the turkey moist and cuts the cooking time in half and we uh did everything with the bag except remember to cut the, cut the cooking time in half so it did come out a little dry despite our best efforts uh you're supposed like like a well-cooked turkey uh, apparent according to the internet the government says you want it to be 165 degrees chefs say you want it to be 150 Ours was easily 200 when I put the temp in at like the first temp check. And I was like, oh, yeah, we didn't account for the bag's cooking speed. Whoops. But other than some dry turkey, it was extremely successful. Nobody went to fisticuffs or shouted over politics or anything. It was it was a good time. A, a, a bold first outing for like a real family thing hosted at our house. I do have uh, something to say about Thanksgiving, Brian. Thank you for reminding me. I'm sure you might have seen. On Thanksgiving, Twitter was attacking people that like ham. I don't know why, but I love ham. I grew up eating a lot of ham. I also like turkey, but people were just like, ham is for garbage feeders. Turkey's the only thing you should be eating. Like, just people with very strong takes. And, uh, well, fuck you guys. Yeah, I actually grew up really disliking the entire Thanksgiving spread. Like, turkey was among my least favorite meats to eat. I hate cranberry sauce to this day. 
stuffing's not a favorite of mine. I don't like pumpkin or apple pie. Just like the whole spread. Like uh, I was known as a kid for just like subsisting on dinner rolls on Thanksgiving night. I just didn't like any of the food. And I've come around on turkey. One of my uncles has this awesome Italian sausage stuffing recipe that really like zaps it up to a place where I'm very happy eating it. Still hate cranberry sauce. When my family realized I was just like nibbling on bread rolls for several years in a row, like ham or lasagna or some like alternate entree became part of like the family tradition. And I'm a grown up now. I like turkey. But yeah, ham rules. If you're a hater, get fucked. Exactly. Uh, going back to your stuffing bit, as an adult, everyone's like, oh, you should try my stuffing. It's so good. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I always eat it. I'm like, yeah, this is fine. But I grew up in a family that didn't have a whole lot of money. And our stuffing was always like boxed stovetop stuffing. That's what I want every year for Thanksgiving. I know it's literally just cardboard, but that's what I think of when I think of Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Uh, why don't we go ahead and hop into uh, donations then? Thank you to uh, Brendan McGrail, Matthew Hackbert, and Paul Vandenbrook for supporting our podcast and uh, lining our editor's wallet with those sweet, sweet dollar bills. At Force of Phil. Of, of course. I, I thought someone else was going to pick up, but like we just got that awkward silence. Maybe, maybe Phil will edit that out. Nah, maybe nah. he'll like edit in him giving us some shit. Who knows? Maybe he'll add a rap. <laughs> An intro rap. Just hype, be your own hype man, Phil. Stick something in there. Give me a goddamn hell yeah. It's Force of Philip on the track, and we got a special treat today featuring on the track with me is my man, me the captain. Me the captain, what it do? So you see, we've been getting done dirty by right of flame as of late, so we figured it's time we done did it dirty back. Let's go. When we light up the stage, it's right of flame you be casting. We were dumb and naive to think the worst that could happen was a couple sloppy goblins bombarding the red zone like hard and after we guzzled the dozen donuts, cardiac problem. How's a diet dog ritual gonna help you cash in? If cheapies taught us one thing, this ain't weight watches the gathering. Fully flavored, fully loaded, sauce it up, get messy. Slather up the graveyard, make it sweet, stick it zesty. Gluttony the game, right of flame, plays for keeps. Watsy be on fire with their band hammer shriek. Adding right of flame to the pyre is nonsense, but this is right of fire design, so banning good conscience. Cast one, double love, hat trick, flexing quad, single mana, ceiling songs, like my angels, bless the top. Right of flame's dominant regardless of meta. The way culture wars the GOP's agenda. It don't apologize for not paying taxes. It doubles down and repeals the ban alliance in practice. Always lucky, never punished. That's what stone pilots do. Mile High Club is screwing you too. But who's playing Boros unless they're dyslexic? This ain't 2012, it's 2021 and it's hectic. Every card's got 10 yards of text like the scripture. Right of flame paints the game's image, big picture. While we quarantine in the midst of pandemic, it's tough to send pizza or post signs at your entrance. You could be our heroes by boosting morale. Just ban right of flame like wishing for a card in exile. Oh no. Oh, don't oh, don't do that actually, because you'll get DQ'd. But you could stop global warming 
and save these fucking dolphins if you just ban Ride of Flame. Ban Ride of Flame, save the dolphins. Hashtag ban Ride of Flame, hashtag save the dolphins. Let's go. Or don't. Whatever. What's going on in Magic World? Um, we we said we're not going to talk about Legacy much, and we're not. So I'll talk about Legacy here uh, instead of in the body of the episode. I played the Buffalo Chicken Dip Legacy Open in Columbus, Ohio. That was during the first Saturday of Eternal Weekend, during the Legacy portion of Eternal Weekend. So I missed the first two events. I didn't do the DGen overnight thing. I went to Columbus to play Legacy and Paper instead. And that event rules. The the premise is exactly what it sounds like, where the TO cooks up several crockpots of buffalo chicken dip, and it's just there for you throughout the day. <laughs> you can eat it, and that comes with your entry. So we got to play Legacy, Paper Legacy. It was a lot of fun, and I gorged myself on buffalo chicken dip. We had a great time over there. If you're in the Ohio- general Ohio strike zone, I would recommend keeping tabs on that. They have a, a Twitter and stuff. Uh, I will find the handle since I just plugged it. I should know what I'm talking about. I did have a really cool 5-0 in Legacy with a mono white painter brew. Uh, the the person had been working on it for quite a while and was like, I can't quite get the 5-0. I think you can do it. The deck list's really good. Uh, it had some crazy Oswald uh, Fiddlebender lines that were just absolutely absurd. One of the most grindy decks that I, I've ever played. I will thumbs up any video where the description includes there's some sweet oswald fiddle bender lines like just just say those words i'm in you can 05 i'll still watch it um the video is exploding on youtube right now um it's it's awesome and it's just also one of those leagues where like okay i've got it unless this really fringe thing happens and like there's just a lot of those moments where like i call the thing that beats me and then like try to have to dig myself out of the hole start bending those fiddles like I expected the card to be kind of bad. I'd played with it once before. It didn't really do anything. And then, like, once Urza's Saga and Retrofitter Foundry are in the deck, so that, like, like you just have zero drops that you can just, like, turn into grindstones at will, it becomes really stupid. By the way, Buffalo Chicken Dip Legacy, I found the thing. It's at BCD Legacy on Twitter. Just BCD for Buffalo Chicken Dip. Then the word Legacy. Shout out to Robert Wilson, the TO. Great guy. Listener of the podcast. Yeah, I lost him in round two, so clearly the tournament's rigged, but if you can get over that, it's a good experience, and just dodge Robert. So the other thing I'm really excited to do, and I'm going to record this tomorrow, is that Magic Online is doing an event with ridiculous banned decks from throughout Modern's history, where you get to like play with things that are currently banned. You have to play set deck lists, uh, but like you can pick from like Mox Opal Affinity, uh, Birthing Pod, Splinter Twin, and all of that stuff. And, like, I've waxed poetic on this cast about how much I fucking love Splinter Twin enough times that people know, like, given this opportunity, I'm 100% taking it. They did something similar previously. Is my GP winning Urza deck in the pool? That thing is banned as fuck these days. <laughs> they banned five different cards out of that deck. No, so each deck only has one banned card. Oh, I, I, it was too broken to qualify by a lot. <laughs> I love that. I do know that uh, the last time that they did this, Jarvis, you, and Mike Noble went through each and every deck list and found uh, irregularities. They would be like, well, you cut this deck list down to 61, and you cut Cryptic Command, you probably should have cut the main deck Celestial Purge that was a metagame call for the time. Or they swapped like a Revoke Existence with a Disenchant and another one. So there's just like some weird changes in some of these decks. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that the splinter twin 75 that is available for the event is optimal 
but I sure as hell am playing it. Like, you, you're giving me the drug, like, just inject it into my veins, like, side effects can come later, whatever. Do you select, I'd like to play Splinter Twin, or do you queue up and it hands you something? I believe you select. I'm gonna okay. be so pissed if I, like, start recording that event, hype up Splinter Twin, and then I'm just, like, playing fucking Affinity. <laughs> like, I, I can do that now. They've done these in the past with, like, uh, stand the best standard deck throughout history or whatever, and I think it was just, like, you queue up and they give you one, but... I didn't actually play it, so maybe I'm making shit up. I think you get to pick, but I'm not 100% sure. It's a better experience if you get to pick. I think one of the feedbacks of that last one was we would rather pick. So I uh, saw this on Reddit not too long ago, and I thought it was a super cool idea. Granted, it's not about modern. I'm sorry, Phil. But somebody had a band deck pauper battle box, which is very similar to the concept that we're describing, where they just find the best 75 from when a deck was banned, and that deck lives in that configuration and in their battle box. So their battle box was like 18 different decks. You could just pick up one up and play. And I just thought that was kind of a cool uh, thing to do and probably fairly cheap. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I think I'm going to record a pauper video next month. Do it. One of my listeners or viewers, whatever, was like, hey, will you play Popper if I donate? And I said, yes, I would, absolutely. Format's so great. And it hasn't hit the PayPal yet, but, like, I think it's incoming. I'm actually a little bit worried that I'm uploading too much Popper recently. Like, I'm gonna have three Popper videos this week. You can't really have too much Popper. Like, if you're having fun with it, uh, that's... There, there is a market for it, and it appeals to legacy players, too, because a lot of the cards are the same. And... The thing that I love about Popper that I say all the time is it's like Legacy without the bullshit, but you're still doing bullshit because you're Bryant Cook. Like, you're going to find whatever the the fastest, most broken horseshit you're allowed to do is, and that hugely appeals to people. Oh, speaking of being, being Bryant Cook, um, how many Pop Storm decks did you have uh, brewed up before they revealed that uh, that was not actually going to be Legacy legal? Oh, uh, people sent me that card, and I just assumed it was a meme, so I never really, like, invested time into it got lucky yeah that was that was disappointing uh if you missed if you're not on twitter and didn't see this happen there was this uh in the new unset that's coming out some of the cards will be legacy legal and some are just unset cards and rather than silver border versus black border they all have black borders but the illegal ones have a little acorn hollow stamp instead of the normal oval hollow stamp and they previewed a card it was a two mana artifact that was it was like a, a balloon popper like water carnival game was the theme and whenever a player casts a spell they move their pop counter up one and when a pop counter gets to five that player makes a five five teddy bear and both pop counters go back to zero so it was just this like like i read this thing and i was like whoa this is actually good like this is like a completely reasonable alternate win con in some sort of storm deck like i and the the internet went nuts, and it turned out that Watsi in their preview had put the wrong hollow stamp on it. Like whoever mocked up the article, uh, they just put an oval on it, and it's supposed to be an acorn. Like Marrow had to walk it back like three hours later, and it's like, no, 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 that's not legal. But I'm kind of glad because that card looked kind of good. I have noticed on their previews before that a bunch of them are photoshopped. Oh, uh, absolutely. Specifically, one of the master sets. Uh, I was looking at it. I'm like. 
this Pass and Flames is like definitely photoshopped. And people are like, no, no, it's just better, bad Twitter quality. I'm like, no, this Pass and Flames is like a bad Photoshop. It's when they made it into the old face. Like, it's pretty clear that someone just used the magic wand in Photoshop and selected all the text. I was like, text does not get that badly pixelated. Sorry, I'm a graphic designer. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It, it's an early preview. I don't expect them to have high-res pictures of the actual cards yet. Uh, I don't think that set even comes out until next year. Oh, like, wow. Or... Oh, I just assume it came out like next week. Just got to have the product, man. Well, to be fair, uh, I mean, next week and next year are not far removed at this point of the year. But I'm pretty sure it was like a super early preview thing. I know that uh, Cyrus Corman Gill feels the same way I do on this one. I would really like it if Crowstorm was a real card. I don't even think that it's OP. I would just like like to play one copy in my sideboard sometimes. And the fact that it's not a real card just like kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, and it's not because I want the whole Storm, Storm Crow meme. I think that's stupid. I don't like it. But I think the card could just like maybe be playable. Yeah. Uh, I I recorded a real legacy league of the Build Your Own Crow Storm. It was a thousand year storm high tide deck that the primary win con was cast storm crow and then wish for that blue 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 instant speed clone in your cunning wish board and then cast that on your storm crow once you're thousand year stormed <laughs> and i i that that is a posted video that i have i ran it through five matches of legacy and i did not oh five that league i I watched you do the thing like I don't watch very many magic videos, but when I heard you talking about that one, I'm like, OK, that that gets, you know, half an hour of my time. I'll watch him do the thing once. It it was beautiful. Yeah, I queued into D&T in the first round, so I obviously just got to assert myself like it, you, you can just watch the first 20 minutes and you're going to see the combo. <laughs> you don't have to finish the video, but you can play Crowstorm. You just have to put some work into it. Innovate. Empower yourself. Gotta believe. All right, so Bryant, uh, give us your uh, your magic life updates and whatnot. Sorry, mine are a little bit longer than usual. I'm sorry. Uh, the first one, two years of playing Wishclaw Talisman. I brainstormed it up two years ago, the night before Thanksgiving, stayed up way too late, and I made a video with Alex McKinley on it. It's about 30 minutes long. We talked through the entire process behind changing the Epic Storm into what it is today. I think it's a pretty good watch. Definitely go check that out. And I'm doing a YouTube giveaway. If you're a member of the Epic Storm YouTube channel this month, by December 23rd, you will be entered to win a Pioneer Lotus Combo Challenger deck. Absolutely free. You don't have to pay shipping. I'm going to cover all of that. Just holiday gifts to you. But on top of that, if you're a member this month, you get access to all videos and deck lists early. So a nice member perk for everyone. Uh, I also hit my 6K that I was going for. So thank you to everyone that subscribed. I do appreciate that. I was talking to Phil and Brian about this. And next year, I'm going to go for 15. I don't think I'm actually going to hit it. But if I do, it'll feel twice as good, right? And, uh, oh, absolutely. Exactly. And then I played in the Popper PTQ after scrubbing out of one of the Eternal Weekends over the weekend. It felt so much fun. I know that, like, Affinity's destroying Popper right now. It's just, like, by far the best deck. Like, even more oppressive than Delver is in Legacy. But I had a blast playing it, and I just barely missed Top 8 due to some bad variants. But... I love that format. If you're not playing Popper, you should be. There's something for everyone. Definitely go check it out. You can build a deck for $15. It's just worthwhile. I got to pay attention to the Moto schedule more. Like, I literally don't even look at it. And I didn't know there was a Popper PTQ until people were tweeting about playing in it. And I was like, damn, I love Popper. And I think the Blue Black Ninja deck is really good and totally my shit. I would have definitely played in that event if I knew it was happening. 
Yeah. The Magic Online calendar and like event schedule and stuff is uh interesting to try and follow. It's it's easy to miss stuff. It's difficult to grok, especially if you don't care about most of the things. Like the the effort threshold required for me to try to understand the calendar is higher than my interest in anything that might be on the calendar. Like there there's a small amount of like, oh shit, I missed a PTQ. But compared to like I, I don't play challenges, I don't play prelims. That's just not how I interact with Magic Online. I play leagues. And if I miss something once in a while, whatever. I think part of the problem is it happens every Wednesday with their update, so they push everything, and then that week's events get added. So if you don't check every format, like starting Wednesday night or whatever, you just don't see events because they're not up for a full week. So like you, if you don't log on between Wednesday and Saturday, you just don't see events. All right, uh, shall we go ahead and get into the meat of the episode? We're not going to talk about Legacy, right? I mean, we're, we're not going to talk about Legacy, but like we, we have to at least make some passing remarks. Otherwise, like people riot. I actually want to talk about Legacy a little bit because I, I only had I played the Buffalo Chicken Dip thing on the Saturday of Eternal Weekend. Then I was home on Sunday to play the Moto actual Eternal Weekend. I played Elves in the Chicken Dip tournament. Uh, I I hit some outrageous variance moments, uh, which, and my tournament ended quickly, but it was like one of those tournaments where you know from the first game that you're not going to win that day, where uh, like in round one, game one, my I had lethal on board against a 12 post opponent who had Glacial Chasm just slowly eating their life total. And while they were hiding behind the Glacial Chasm, they managed to Zenith for a Ramanap Excavator. And I was like, okay, that's not a big deal. Uh, the turn they sack their chasm, I'll just rotate with Elvish Reclaimer into Bajuka Bog, and then they're dead that turn. And the turn they ran out of life points, I drew Bajuka Bog for my turn out oh. of my like, forty-seven card deck or whatever. And I was, I, I literally like thought to myself, as long as I don't draw Bajuka Bog, and then I drew it, and I was just like, okay, it's one of those days. And just something like that happened every round. It was like. I need one more creature to make Crater Hoof lethal, plus Grist, mill Crater Hoof. And it was just like, ah! And so it was one of those, but the deck's obviously great. It won the online Eternal Weekend that was going on at the time that I was going 0-3 with Elves and Paper. But the Sunday event, I woke up that morning, it was, Elves had just won the event the night before, and I was like, I want to play a blue deck. I, I'm not registering a deck without Brainstorm for 10 rounds, and I think Black's going to be good for this tournament. And I started cooking up Esper Shark still. Like, that was, that's in my folder on Magic Online. Uh, it, it was ready. It was, like, pretty close to presentable. And then I saw Pokemoki had tweeted a Bant Splashing Black list, where the Black cards were, like, some dope sideboard cards and Witherbloom Command, which it lined up pretty much card for card with Honorog's like four color control decks like the the Bant base with Splashing Red for Expressive Iteration but Pokemoki replaced Expressive Iteration with Witherbloom Command in that card advantage two mana sorcery slot and I was like okay yeah this deck looks good I messaged him about it he said yeah it's good give me some tips and I went on an eight and two run with the deck and it I'm sure I didn't play perfectly because it was just you know raw dogs no testing here's this wild card in witherbloom command i've never played that as the core of a control deck before and 
I'm not, I'm sure I didn't play perfectly, but like eight and two was a respectable result. That deck felt really good. It lined up well against elves, against Ragavan, against uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler, like against Control. Uh, I really liked that experience playing that deck. And all 10 rounds are on YouTube now, if you want to go check that out. Okay, so I, I wanted to talk about elves a little bit. Um, if we end up getting some legacy bands to kind of shake up the format like a lot of people want, I, I think elves is very, very primed to be one of the better decks in the format. Like, unless a bunch of Plague Engineers come back to specifically combat it. Like, Allosaurus Shepherd is very, very absurd. And you can run so many copies of that card between, like, it itself, Once Upon a Time to Find It, and Green Sun to tutor it. I've even natural ordered for it. Like, that is sometimes the line. I... I recorded with Elves, that video is also up on YouTube, and at some point in the video, I was playing against some Ancient Tomb deck, and I was like, it's a good thing we don't have to worry about Chalice anymore. And someone made a comment of like, that's misleading. The Elves does care about Chalice. You only have the four Shepherd, and it's easy to kill. And it's like, what de what card in a Chalice deck kills Allosaurus Shepherd? Like, Stomp? I was just about to say that. Fiery Confluence? Like, it, you're going to spend two mana to answer a one drop, if you have it. The, the like blue chalice decks can't answer it at all. And you it only needs to be in play for one turn. Like on turn three, you go shepherd, one drop, one drop, and now you're way ahead of the chalice and it doesn't matter anymore. Go ahead, spend two mana to kill it. Like and between the zeniths and the once upon a times, you have way more than the four copies, and just elves getting disrespectful to chalice, which was one of its natural predators back in the day, and even the other combo matchups like Sneak and Show used to be just like the the murderous natural predator to elves and because it had blue cards to back up its combo and elves didn't. But now the blue cards are blanks and the Sneak and Show matchups fine to good where it used to be terrible. Uh, I even just like 2-0'd Reanimator with elves in the league I played. It, it's... Uh, Hello Newton really tuned that deck, like used every flex slot to target combo, which was the only predator of elves, because elves has always outgrown blue decks. It's always overpowered non-blue decks, and like other combo decks was really the only thing that could beat it. And Newton just has a bunch of main deck slots plus the entire sideboard build to combat combo. Well, I think one of the strengths of Elves is that it is one of the few decks in the format that just gets to outright disrespect Days. And I've made it pretty clear my stance on Days in this format, but I think that's one of the big benefits of playing Elves. And I was actually talking earlier today about a post-ban world and what it could mean. I think if Days were to leave the format along with Ragavan, assuming that Wizards does what I would like them to do, but not really the point here. But if that was to happen, Elves does get the boost. But imagine everyone else getting that same boost of not having to play around days anymore. Like, so many decks would be better. And it's not just Elves getting this extra advantage. Like, imagine if everyone got to do that. It would just be such a great feeling. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're just going to make a really conservative ban of just Dragavan and hope that it's good enough. But that's an All idea. Right. I, I don't want to go for very far down this rabbit hole, but I do just want to say... If you look at the data from Eternal Weekend only, Blue Red Delver doesn't look super, super hot. Like, it put up some top eight finishes, like, surprise, surprise. But as far as its overall win percentage, it was it was bad. Well, we've, we've had four months for or more, like, however long Modern Horizons 2 has been in print, 
uh, time doesn't mean anything anymore, but we've had that much time for everyone to put their crosshairs directly on blue red delver and it's still it won one of the events right yeah. like it won the the first one and then put up top eights consistently through the rest of them it won the third one too right oh yeah you're right it did it won two of the three jesus yeah uh and that's with everyone knowing this is the s tier thing you need to be able to beat it and the one the the other one was won by elves which is a deck that can afford to have Ignore Ragavan, because you have enough creatures to trade off, or big enough creatures to block, or you don't really care if they take your Wirewood Symbiote or whatever. You don't have Brainstorm that's going to really just pop off with a Ragavan hit. So it's it's obviously sick, but we in our previous episode, or maybe the one before it, uh, we were talking about like the conservative ban of like just clip Ragavan, let us get back to normal, and. I offered the counter possibility that they're looking more whole cloth at like Ragavan, Days, Express Iteration, Allosaur Shepherd, Thassa's Oracle. Like they might give us like a seismic shift. Uh, and I'm I'm kind of rooting for that at this point. And for what it's worth, uh, my my thoughts on what should be banned have matured since uh, we first started having this conversation. And if they ban one card out of Delver, I think it should be Expressive Iteration, uh, not Ragavan. But obviously, like, Ragavan's also a problem. But uh, I think Expressive Iteration just being a dig through time that only some decks get access to is is a problem. Mine would be Barktide Regent, for the record. Uh, that's, like, my fourth or fifth card in Delver I would target. Like, obviously, it's a big fat jerk, but I, I think that that exists in a spot that's kind of interesting I, I don't like that it's blue. Like, I, I do agree that this card is pushed really, really hard. Uh, I, I used to... Uh, I top-aided Eternal Weekend in Legacy with two Tombstalkers in my Grixis Delver deck when nobody else was really doing that. That was some Jarvis technology, because no one was ready for this, like, big fat idiot coming out of nowhere. But, yeah, Murktide Regent, you don't need to be in black. You're, you can do it anyway. Like, I agree that card's really good, but it's also, like, a mid-to-late game threat that dies to removal. <laughs> I mean, like in modern, it's a turn two play. In legacy, like turn three, turn four, like it, it's going to show up. But I, I think that the legacy card pool should be able to beat just like a large creature with stats. Like it, it's, it's, it's basically Tarmogoyf with flying that you have to do some more work to get. And like I, I think we should be able to beat that as a legacy format. But I don't think we get to beat that while also like halving to answer ragavan and halving to answer uh, like other early things like ragavan is certainly part of the problem yeah but... rag requiring the early swords to plowshares uh or else it will just snowball like i i do think that the the threats that only deal damage the ones like drc and delver where you can just like all right i'll take six to make sure i don't die to a murktide regent versus ragavan where it's like well if i take four from this thing they're going to be up three cards on me and what I'm, I'm I can't beat Murktide anyway. Uh, like, but I think that the problem in that equation is Ragavan, not Murktide region. I'd like to circle back to a point that Phil made in the beginning of this discussion. Phil mentioned the one percentage of blue red Delver on the weekend. I think it's really, and I'm going to sound probably a little bit like a hypocrite here because the sample is so large. We have a, this huge sample size of all this data and people are now comparing it to challenge data which I think is a little bit of a flawed thing to do because you're comparing events that are 60 to 70 dedicated legacy players 
to these pools of 300 to 400 players. And honestly, the turnout for these was a little bit low, but there are people that are just like, hey, I don't usually play Magic Online. They have God accounts. I'm going to sign up and play. There's a few people that joined our Discord and they're like, oh man, I joined. I went 06 with TES, but I had so much fun. Where those people aren't typically signing up for challenges. Those same people are the people signing up with Blue Red Delver because it's the best deck in the format. And that weighs down the, the win percentage too. But you don't see it as much. Well, it's more difficult to see that when they're also winning the tournament. But you're like, oh, the win percentage was down. There's probably a bunch of people that just signed up with the best deck. Yeah, I, I agree fully with that. And I think that's what, what happened there. Um, but I also think like if there are people sitting around a you know, round table with their coffee cups talking about bannings, they're going to go like, oh, 50% this weekend. Not so great. No changes. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to Wizards of the Coast. Like, not that they deserve complete fairness in, in like the way, like, I'm the eternal optimist just wanting to give credit to, I know they are smart people who care about the game, and I know that their resources are probably stretched with the size of their team and the number of things they have to manage, and we know Legacy's not on the front burner, but... I don't think anyone is like sitting around counting beans like, oh, 50% win percentage over Eternal Weekend. Format's fine. Like, I, I think that they they read Twitter. They are in touch with like the actual pulse of a community before they start firing off ban decisions. Uh, like normally, like it might take a little while to get there, but when the ban hits, it's usually a good one. Like we, when well, like we all knew Deathrite Shaman needed to get banned back in the day and then like Surprise, Gataxian Probe was also hit with it, which, like, obviously that card's busted, but I hadn't heard that talked about in any of my conversations where, like, the format's warped, we need to hit Deathrite Gem, and that's what I was hearing. And they had the foresight to also be like, you know, this card's also busted, because they, they thought about it in a bigger picture, and I think that the, the Allosaur Shepherd Thassa's Oracle, you know, deeper list is on the table for that reason. At the time, Probe was actually a pretty big talking point on Reddit. I don't know if it was on Twitter. I wasn't active on Twitter at the time. But on Reddit, a lot of people wanted Probe gone. And in the previous uh, BNR update, they mentioned how Probe was on the watch list. And I was like, oh, hot damn, I better buy Japanese Royal Thought Seasons. And I did that, and I got them all before the Probe banning happened. Smart. Stonks. All right. Um, why don't we take this moment to move past Legacy? Yeah, we've legacy. said enough. I think that's we promised no Legacy. More than we were planning we just... on did some legacy Boo. we lied to you so uh let's let's one dive quick thing to all right if you want to watch a terrible legacy format since brian plugged his video you can also watch my video on my channel i also went x and two but uh my tiebreakers did not hold and i fell down to like 19th or something no just go watch my painter video and watch me fuck around with oswald fiddlebender yeah bend some fiddles with phil damn all right. Um. So let's kind of talk about our uh, vintage Eternal Weekend data. Um. Why don't we go ahead and start with the Mox Emerald event from the twenty seventh? Oh wow, the first place list look really fucking good. I would definitely uh, recommend playing that deck. Oh. Yeah. Oh. What makes you say that, Bryant? Well, I worked on it a little bit. Like I played a lot of vintage for like two and a half weeks leading up to um, Eternal Weekend, and at first I was playing these really large blue tinker decks. Uh, Esper Tinker with like two Teferis and two Lavinios because they beat the Flusterstorm mirrors. And but it was just really apparent that they were super clunky. Prismatic ending didn't align versus all the Ragavans that were in the format. I'm like, I have to cut white. So, like a lot of people, I went to the big blue Tinker decks that were just like four Hull Breachers plus like Time Twister and Wheel of Fortune. But I'm sure Brian, as a vintage champion, 
can confirm with me right now, the Twisters have not aged well, at least in my opinion. They have not. I played one league with uh, the Power Nines, Hall Breacher, Tinker Deck. Power Nine, awesome person, powerful wizard, by the way, uh, always on the cutting edge. I, I think that the list that I pulled that he had done well with a week or two before I recorded did not quite keep up with where the format was when I got around to playing it. And I think in the league, I, I got to like Breacher Twister someone once. And then once I cast Twister without a Breacher and just fucking died. And another time I got Tinker or I got Breacher Twistered and then won. Like I, I was just hellbent and my <laughs> opponent had a fresh seven and a pile of treasures. And I just won that game anyway. Uh, so like that, it, it's a powerful thing. Twister sucks without Breacher. And like you do play them in the right numbers. Like it's four and one. You only get one time Twister, but I think the deck would only want one even if you could play four. Uh, so and it has narset so it's like five and one you're more you're likely to be set up when you draw your twister but if you ever don't have it i hope you pitch it to force because that's not a card you could just cast straight up in a fair deck and yeah that time twister is just it's funny because i recently posted a picture of uh my friend chris bought into power at gp new jersey whenever that was it was like four years 2014 2014 uh was it that long ago okay uh and there's this picture that I I comes in my Facebook memories every year of like Chris holding up his power nine and like all of our friends just like with our arms up like ah like celebrating in the background and I love that picture and in the picture he has all of the power except for time twister and he has a library instead because that's what you needed at the time and because of commander time twister is the second most expensive magic card like if you rule out like alternate printings or like summer magic or whatever like it's Black Lotus and then Time Twister are the two most expensive magic cards that exist. And it just wasn't even on his to-do list. It was the cheapest one. It probably would have been a, almost a throw-in in a deal of that size and just didn't bother with it. And the commander interest in Time Twister versus the vintage playability of Time Twister is like a funny dichom- dichotomy to see playing out over time. So uh, to circle back to Hull Breacher plus Twisters, I saw that Matthew Vuk, Mandius himself played a list to a like top 16 in a challenge where it was four colors but instead of the twisters added in dac fadens and i was like well that's an idea matt let me try this so i tried it and i was like okay well this wasn't terrible but now i'm playing like seven three drops in my deck and my deck it just was really clunky and i was like okay well what if we change some some of the numbers what if we do like a two two split with dac and hull breacher and try narset and i never found the right thing so I ended up going to like dress down PO, which was really low to the ground and felt really good. But I kept on losing to even larger blue decks, like just like Jeskai control, Bant control. Uh, it was just like anything that was a real control deck I couldn't beat. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be on that for Eternal Weekend if I'm just going to lose because I don't have Saga in my deck. So I went back to like the stock Saga PO decks. And once again, those were just terrible. I played a lot of Vintage, by the way. And I then got to just like... Grixis Thieves, which is a list I posted, uh, which had Ragavan, Holebreacher, and Dak Faden without any of the combo cards uh, outside of like Tinker or Citadel. And that deck was pretty close. But then I had this realization of Underworld Breach beats pretty much everything in Vintage right now in the fair matchups. Like it beats Fluster and it beats Pyro. Your opponent has Force, and that's pretty much it. And you have all of those cards that i just mentioned to fight against force so underworld breach was just this powerhouse and i was like okay well what if we're just tinker breach and that's our deck and i started testing it and i had some of those three drops in the deck and 
over a few leagues, I went from like six three drops all the way down to like two. And I just added in a bunch of preordains. And all of a sudden the deck just like worked really, really well because you weren't playing like a bunch of two card Monty things anymore. You weren't playing key vault. You still had those cards in your deck, but you weren't just like randomly drawing one of them. Or you weren't just randomly drawing your Tinker targets all the time. Or you wouldn't have Brain Freeze with no Underworld Breach. Like, your deck was just a coherent plan all the time. So I came up with this list, and I shared it with Alex McKinley, who won the first Eternal Weekend. And Alex, before the first one, actually showed the deck to Brian. We're all in a big group chat. And uh, a bunch of our other friends also had the list, but there was a few of us playing that 75 in all three events. Yeah, I also went 7-2 in this event. Uh, I landed in 20th with the stone worst breakers of all the X2s. I took my losses earlier. I, I think I was like 1-2 and two and then ground out 5 in a row or 6 in a row, however math works. So I was out early, but I kept playing. And the deck was really powerful. Uh, that that list is, that video is also posted. Like all nine rounds, I did record those. And going back, like Bryant said, uh, I got the list in a group text or a group chat like three hours before the event. And I was planning on napping for those three hours. So I literally like Alex shipped me the list. I watched him finish a league. He had like two matches left in a league. He streamed it on discord and like Bryant popped in for a second. And like, we just you know talked to, I watched the, a couple matches and I was like, okay, I'm good. And went and took a nap. And then I, I did not play optimally the first three rounds, which were the ones where my losses came. And then I was like, okay, now I get it and just won the rest of them. And meanwhile, Alex was winning the tournament. So the deck was really powerful and I played it in day two as well. Really smart choices, really well-constructed deck, Bryant. Thank you. I uh, played it in the third event. And in that event, I lost early to Dredge. Uh, it was just like two hands that looked like keeps and then my opponent played bizarre even though game two I had like a bunch of hate dredge just dredged me and that's what happens sometimes uh, this video is up on YouTube as well but then the last round I got paired versus LSV and knowing that it was Louis Scott Vargas I probably should have assumed that there was some sort of combo in the deck but I had already faced is it tempo five times in that event out of was it nine rounds, Brian, or ten? I can't remember. It was nine. Nine. So I had already faced it five times out of those eight rounds. So I was like, okay, LSV led on Ragavan. He's also on the Is It Tempo deck. I put Sphinx of the Steel Wind into play, and LSV was like, yeah, whatever, breach you, kill you. And I was like, ah, oh, I feel really dumb right now, where I could have gotten Citadel and maybe have won. But like, I was so into the everyone has been playing Is It Tempo all day mindset. Yep, I mean, that happens sometimes. Um, you mentioned Dredge. Uh, so last episode, I, I had kind of mentioned that I thought some of the graveyard decks were in a worse position than last year. And in this specific event, uh, like, it was Dredge's heyday. Uh, Cyrus Corman Gill put Dredge into the top eight of this event. There were four Dredge decks in the top 32 and the bizarre decks had the highest uh, win percentage of the event by quite a bit, uh, at nearly sixty percent in this event uh, for Dredge, uh, which is extremely high, and fifty-eight percent more generally for just like the bizarre archetypes all lumped together. Uh, that event was a good event to be dredging in. 
I believe Sullivan Brophy is one of these dredge top eights. I, I think I saw him post that on Facebook. I, I don't know what his moto username is, but he's probably the best dredge player on earth. So uh, there's there's a lot of power behind the, the dredge top eights as well, in addition to the deck being well positioned. Um, I've, I've played against Sullivan. He's from the Pennsylvania area. Like we overlap in our vintage communities and I've seen him wiggle out of some shit that I thought I had locked up where I just have like Tormod script and Leyland of the Void and just like, oh, hell, well, we win now. And then I just lose somehow and don't understand what happened. Uh, Cyrus also incredibly powerful wizard in general. Uh, so a lot of really powerful names played this powerful deck in this open meta and were rewarded for it. What's not really showing up quite as much are the non-dredge bizarre decks that just were everywhere last year uh the the hogak the hollow vine the the squee decks uh they are they're present they put up top eights they they are represented in the spread but last year it was like most of the rounds it was like nearly 50 50 you were to play against some hollow vine bizarre deck which was just not the case this year I barely faced any Mishra's Workshop decks in any of the events I played. Like, it was just not a popular deck. And in testing for these events, if you played Leagues, which is what I did in order to test, the week before, or maybe it was two weeks before the event, Green-White Hate Bears with uh, that new flip Quasali Pride Mage in it yep. was everywhere. In the Like, I played a League where I faced four of that deck, and then the fifth match was Bant Hate Bears. Like, the leagues were just covered. And I was like, is this what Eternal Weekend's going to look like? It won a challenge, and then literally the next day, I put out a video on that, because, like, I had been sent the deck list ahead of time by the person who, like, won the event. They wanted me to, like, help test it and whatnot. So I think that one-two punch temporarily really boosted that deck's numbers a lot. Okay, that's fair. But it was everywhere, and I was like, oh, wow, I need to really prepare for this deck for Eternal Weekend. So when you look at the sideboard, there was two Abrade and two Bolt in it. And I was like, well, I need four removal spells for all these hate bears. And I don't know about you, Brian, but I never faced any of the hate bear decks once I got into the Eternal Weekend events. Well, Brian made the mistake of playing one of those decks, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, in, in the third day, um, after the first two days of information came out, breach in its various forms was heavily represented and overperforming for its representation both uh like uh your tinker breach saga amalgamation and then other people were on more traditional just like xerox decks with breach in them uh i also saw all three smushed together uh i, I believe max Dorshin had like a ragavan tinker saga breach deck that he went six and three with in the first event and tweeted it out so people were aware of it and so i decided to just be like a hateful individual on day three and played the the deck with three main deck collector of four main deck archon of amiria two lavinia like uh two endurance two force of vigor i was like I'm just not losing to a breach deck today. And I queued into bug, Jess guy, Jess guy, shops, <laughs> just like none of the decks. Uh, I, I smushed the breach deck I got paired into. Like I, I was right on that meta call, but I definitely, if I had played a single league with this Bantamiria deck, Bant Archon deck before I queued up for it, 
I would not have selected it. Because in my head, I was like, this is just structurally the bug deck with white cards instead of black cards, and the white cards seem to line up better. But the bug deck has like Demonic Tutor and like some other access to some other things that smooth you out. Like Deathright Shaman is just a reliable threat as well as a mana provider, or Noble Hierarch is just one of those two things. And there's a few subtle differences between Bant and Bug that make Bug a more defensible vintage deck though i i still think that deck is not great and and like compared to rug like rug xerox like a true xerox deck like rug or jeskai the difference is for preordain which i didn't really connect all those dots in my head bryant just mentioned preordain being the missing piece to the grixis deck and all of the experience with xerox in the past being able to smooth out your draws have the right thing have some spell velocity being able to support treasure crews and dig through time like that's just a totally different calculation than i have brainstorm ponder ancestral recall gataxian probe and creatures that and like your opening hand is what you get basically you're living off the top and the creatures better be good and that that deck just it is not a good call for a big event like that uh i i got tricked and Basically, by got tricked, I mean I didn't test properly, and uh, I had I think the meta read was dope at the winner's meta game, but you have to get into the winner's meta game, and by losing round one to uh, just a different deck is what it is. So shame on you for playing collector oof, but our fans will love to hear this. I so when you face the bug deck, the bug deck is the most fair thing you can do in vintage. I talked about it last week, but it's a lot like 2012 Charless Bug. It's just like a grind you to the death bug deck. I got turn one to buy it twice in the second eternal weekend. Like I had just watched Alex McKinley win a painting with my 75 cards, and I was like, Hell yeah! Let's go! Start the second one. I just had an energy drink. It's like 3:30 in the morning. Feeling good. Well, my opponent in back-to-back games had turn one collector roof back by force of will, and I was like, fuck this, I'm going to bed. Uh, that was round two, but I was just like, I can't believe that I got turn one to buy bug in two games. Yeah, uh, the the deck doesn't have very many broken draws. Uh, the, that deck is built on stability rather than a velocity or uh, brokenness, but there is one Black Lotus in the deck, and sometimes they have it. And here's like double collector over some bullshit. And they they do have those draws. Uh, I was trying to have those draws on the Sunday. And that video is also up. Uh, it's It'll be up tomorrow when we're recording this. So uh, it's up already by the time you're hearing this. You will see me have multiple turn one collector roofs backed by force of will. And then my opponent goes volcanic island ragavan <laughs> instead of, you know, anything that's broken. The ragavan tempo decks that suck by the way they performed extremely poorly their win rates are really bad across the three events don't be fooled into playing a legacy deck in vintage but ragavan is a a serious problem for someone who's trying to win the game with a grizzly bear just coast to coast and it didn't work and that that second event i think you and i were like grumpy and in bed around the same time First of all, that was the one that I didn't record. I I recorded the first and third one, but the second one started at 5 a.m. East Coast time after we had played started nine rounds at 8 p.m. the night before. 
it was 5 a.m. So it was probably like 6 a.m. when I was grumpy, not 3.30. Yeah, it, it was, it, it started at 5. I think I went to bed from the first one around 3.30. I got, didn't fall asleep right away because I was wired from playing a magic tournament, going 7-2, having a pretty good run. And then like probably 40 minutes of sleep, I'm up and ready for the next one. I jumped into Discord just for a second, long enough to watch Alex win the painting. I was like, yeah, dope. And then just like queued back in with the same deck. I was like, yeah, that that's the confidence boost I need. And then that recording was weird. I have not played Magic Online that I wasn't recording in probably a year and a half. Like other, I, I can't even say like a cube draft or something. I used to queue up cube drafts off camera, but I don't even do that anymore. My moto time is content time period. Oh and yeah, that change is so weird. Like I used so to play weird. so many death and taxes leagues for like pleasure in the evening and stuff. And now like I legitimately can't think of the last time I played a moto league for pleasure that I didn't record. It's just like if I am playing magic, it is it is making me money via content. Like Yeah, uh, y- you play way more magic than we do. <laughs> and or at least on your own time. I noticed a couple things when I wasn't recording. Like one, I felt like I was forgetting something. Like I didn't have my recorder running. It wasn't in the background. I didn't have to manage anything. My mic was just like pushed off to the side. Like just none of that was in place. I felt like something was missing. And I think that distracted me a little. Like you, we always say that content creation is, is harder than playing for yourself because you have to worry about all these other things. But it was like, I don't know, uh, I think what I'm saying is clear, even though I'm not saying good words right now. Like, it, it, something was missing, which threw my groove off, even though it should technically be a hindrance. I was, like, confused about, you know, it felt like something was wrong. Like, that was part of it. And another part of it was, like, my losses, I was mad. When I'm on camera, I'm just like, oh, whatever, a good game opponent. Like, they really had our number there. Part of it is like nobody wants to hear you tilt off on camera. And part of it is I'm making content. So this is productive, even though I'm losing. And in like a real tournament with real stakes sitting at home, like I was like, I was, I was mad. <laughs> like I, I didn't like salt off in the chat or anything. I wasn't mad at my opponent. It was just like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, of course I would draw the six land or whatever. Like, nah. just like alone in my room rather than uh, like th- th- it just felt like a loss was a waste of my time rather than a loss was, you know, learning opportunity, content creation. I'm definitely, I have slid somehow much farther onto the content creator side of the player spectrum than the the tournament grinder at this point. And uh, the content creator uh, position is lucrative. When, when, when you have it good, you don't have to sweat whether or not you've paid for your weekend by min caching or whatever. Yeah. Uh, like the the twenty five dollar entry fee, uh, the two leagues I record or vi- the two rounds I recorded will like easily make twenty five dollars in ad revenue or whatever. Like generate a new Patreon. Like I don't know. Like I'll get that money back. And it's not even about twenty five dollars. It, it was just like weird to me how irrelevant the the entry cost was and like ultimately how low the stakes are. But I I was like wow, like in person, I don't get like that. When I'm recording, I don't get like that, but like, also it was like five in the fucking morning. Like that, that was a, I, I'm going to hope that some amount of my disgruntledness was the fact that I had not slept really. Like I, I'm going to give myself some credit and just be like, yeah, you, you didn't sleep and you played four rounds and now it's like 9am and like the sun's up and you're just like, fuck this. I hate my life. So, okay. So I specifically want to talk about like 
how hard the time twister event physically was on some people. So I have the top 32 uh, results uh, up here. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six no-show pairings happened in these with these top 32 players. And a lot of these happened in round nine. <laughs> Like two of two of these people who are live for decent prizes, like their opponents just straight up were like, I can't take it anymore, or I literally fell asleep at the keyboard. I saw a couple of those posts floating around Twitter. Or like there's three people who had their round one opponent no show, potentially because like they signed up for the event and like oh, like had their moto open and then overslept or something. Like that was very real for this event in a way that is not normally true for a magic online tournament yeah in uh i think it was round two of the second event i was paired against eight cast and i won game one they won game two and then like sideboarding went the full three minutes and then like six minutes into game three my opponent hadn't like kept a hand yet or mulliganed and i was like what just happened and then they were like they showed up in the chat and they were like oh oops sorry i thought that was game three i walked away <laughs> <laughs> I, which I don't think would happen if it wasn't 6 a.m., you know? Yeah. But, like, part of my brain was, of course, like, oh, you couldn't wait another three minutes to remember. But uh, the other part was like, okay, we get to play. And then they stomped me easily. I don't know if you two will remember this, but around a decade ago, Star City had this player point thing where you can, I guess it was before the Players' Championship. It was the series before that. And they would allow people to sign up online for their events and then there just wouldn't be, like, a player check before round one or whatever. So, like, I'm playing blue-white Delver in standard. I'd show up for my round number one, and I would just wouldn't have an opponent at Star City Opens. And I at the time, I didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't even go to a lot of them. But it happened to me at least two or three times where I'd just show up and it'd be like, oh, your opponent's not actually at the venue. They just signed up for the player point. And it reminded me a little bit of that. Yeah, there's still a little bit of that, that that happens like when you get into the like the real scrap of the leaderboard. I I I know I it's been 2 years at this point since this has come up, but I know a lot of the SCG grinders they tr they like beseech each other like come on gentlemen's agreement that we don't play an IQ on the week off cuz just like every point matters and if there's not an open that week, someone's running an invitational qualifier somewhere in the country that you can get like 4 points for winning or something and it gets kind of grindy and toxic, and I believe that I don't know if they've shut it down since then, but I know at some point people were just like buying entry to all three Sunday challenges, and they might still be in like day two of the main event, where it's just like forty dollars for one SCG point or whatever X three, which seems like the bad way to do it. But if that's your goal, I don't know. I don't have that grind in me. Why? Why do you think so many Brad Nelson? caliber players showed up to play in the roanoke locals it wasn't just because they happened to live in town it's because like those were iqs and those points were real yep, to them absolutely i have so many top eight or top four finishes like where some of these people are in there and the conversation goes like would you like to split yes let's split and then i would just like concede the points didn't matter to me the points mattered to them one of my biggest regrets uh, in my Magic career, I made the finals of a modern classic. I actually beat Bryant in top eight of that event. It was uh, it was during. I'm not I'm not rubbing it in your face. I'm just saying he was there too. Uh, we've been in more than one classic top eight together. But uh, I it was during Eldrazi winter, 
I was the only person in that tournament who apparently knew about Eldrazi cards. Like, Bryant was on Burn or something. My finals opponent was on, like, Grandfather Jund, with just, like, Thoughtseize Tarmogoyf Jund. And I was like, well, I'm gonna win, but uh, are the pro- are the points worth anything to you? And they were like, yes, they are. And I was like, okay, I will collect 75% of the uh, SCG store credit or whatever, and you get the points. And they agreed to that. But in retrospect, now that I'm at a point in my life where trophies are worth more than money to me i wish i had that modern plaque on my wall with the other with the with the legacy plaques that i've also collected like having a modern one would be nice but at the time i think i bought like an fbb bayou and tropical island with that store credit from that event so yeah that's aged yeah well, it's it's aged well I, i'm not gonna complain but but yeah definitely being in those positions I had the opposite one in another one where like Star City points did matter to me. It was the season after I won the Envy and I was carrying some number of buys and I was in the running for the next season championship or whatever briefly. And uh, in the finals of a classic, I was like, yeah, I need the points. And I gave up some equity to get the points. So that was that was quite a side tangent. To circle back to being exhausted. I want to go come back to this. I'm sorry, Phil. I have something I want to share. But the hate bears. <laughs> so Brian talked about being like super exhausted. My wife woke me up at 1030 Saturday after I went to bed at maybe 630 in the morning. So I had a solid three and a half hours of sleep. I'm like, oh, there's a pauper PTQ today. I should play in that. And it just like didn't really dawn on me how tired I was. And I'm winning game three. My opponent has relic in play. I have a hard cast, a uh, horror of the broken lands, if you know what that is. It's a 4-4 that when you cycle, it gets plus 2, plus 1. My opponent blocks with a 1-1. And I'm like, okay. We go to their end step, and then they cast Scred on my horror. And I'm like, oh, I just have to cycle one creature so this lives. I beat myself up for like four rounds over that misplay. And it was only because I was exhausted from not getting any sleep. Like, if I think... I'm really confident that if I was actually awake, that wouldn't have happened. But in that recording, I'm just like so hard on myself. And it, Brian's... Uh, anger thing made me think of it because like the entire time for the next four rounds i'm just super pissed off at myself going like i'm better than that i shouldn't be doing that i'm so bad at magic like i'm trying to like keep a a solid face for the camera but i was just fuming inside i have a similar story to that this one was from a paper event it was from that modern event that i played recently i was paired against a friend it was our win and in for top eight or it might have been top eight i don't know it was it was a match with stakes and I was on Zoomer Jund and he was on Hammer Time. And he attacked with a pure steel paladin that was holding a Colossus Hammer. I chump block with Ragavan. And he goes, second main, I'll move the hammer over. Like he says the word over and like trails off, picks up the hammer. Like it's physically in his hand. And he's looking at all his other creatures. And I say, that's dead. It has two damage on it. And he's like, I'm not going to move the hammer and just put it back down. And, like, he technically hadn't announced, like, the target yet to, like, actually change it. And in that moment, I was, like, at, like, 9 out of 10 mad at him and 10 out of 10 mad at myself. Because it was just, like, he's right, but also he's being a fucker about it. Like, what's a little sportsmanship (laughs) between friends here? Like, you know what you did. I ended up just beating him anyway. But I I definitely got some daggers in. I'm like, wow, imagine scumming your friend and losing anyway. You must feel good about yourself. (laughs) And... There was a little bit of tension in that moment, but definitely madder at myself than at him for that. All right. I guess we could talk about Vintage Magic, Phil. Oddly, the Hate Bears deck had decks, I guess I should say, had really good showings in this second event. 
Um, so there is a mono-white um, Lurus deck that got third in the event. There is another black-white Hate Bears deck that got sixth. Uh, and then there is one more, uh, like, Death and Taxes, Hate Bear style deck uh, in 26th place, or 25th place as well. The Hate Bears deck is a deck that doesn't, like, air quotes, vintage quite as hard as many other vintage decks, um, but just kind of something about the way this event uh, lined up and maybe the success of, like, Breach previously or something like that um, led some people to choose it for this event, and it worked out well for them. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I didn't know what mono white aggro was or black white aggro were off of Justin's spreadsheets. Did we credit Justin yet? Justin Gennari, I am actually level one. We're working off all of his data, his spreadsheets that he posts. Uh, if we didn't shout him out, like go follow him and support his Twitch channel and shit. Uh, really excellent member of the vintage community. Anyway, I looked at Justin's spreadsheets and I was like, what the fuck is mono white aggro? What's black white aggro? Can I play those? And could could you find the deck lists for this event? Because I, I was trying to a minute ago and I found the deck lists for the other two events, but not this one on MTG Top 8. I have not looked for any actual deck lists. Okay. I figured they wouldn't be posted in the time that they needed to be for me to figure out what mono white aggro is uh, for the third event. And I haven't looked back since then. Yeah, I'm I'm just assuming it is hate bears with Luminarch Aspirant. Like, without looking at it, that's just my guess as to what yeah, that is. Yeah, makes sense. You're definitely more in tune with that side of vintage magic than I am. But yeah, uh, I, I was pretty excited when I saw that those things did well in the second event, which also helped lean on my decision to be, like, a hate bear in the third event. Phil, you'd be happy to know that Luminarch Aspirant is blowing up Pioneer right now. Ever since Thalia has been introduced to the format, there's variant, various mono-white aggro decks. Uh, including Winona, that are all playing Luminarch Aspirant. Well, Winona's not playing that one, but Winona is also a value deck. I'm derailing. I'll shut up now. No, it's it's fine. Like, I've, I've been singing that card's fucking praises for, is it years at this point? How, how long has this shit been going on? Whenever it was printed. Might be know. a week or two. I, when did that card come out? Time? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? It's all made up. It is one of the best ways as a Hate Bears deck to grow your creatures out of range of specific threats, like, say, Plague Engineer or Lightning Bolt. An Archon with one plus one plus one counter on it is bullshit if you are the Lightning Bolt deck. It's true name nemesis. It's unbeatable. Like, you, you can't remove that thing if it's a 3-4. Yeah, uh, and so it also solves problems in creature mirrors where it's like, oh, they have a hollow one. Shit, my deck is full of X ones and two twos oh now i just have to wait two turns and now my thalia first strikes and beats hollow one it it solves so many problems awesome card i'm glad it got third place at eternal weekend i'm glad it didn't win but i'm glad it put up a really <laughs> respectable result <laughs> all right um i don't really have anything else to say notably about this second event um i do either of you i do uh discover n is a vintage player that the vintage community props up as like the greatest player on the planet i don't think anyone actually knows who discover n is i like to pretend that they're just like a high school math teacher with a really bad sense of humor but uh they top aided both events with doomsday they i don't believe they top aided the third i didn't actually check negative but people were going wild that discover n had top aided back to back and uh coming for brian's crown of most eternal weekend top eights so uh just need to make Brian aware that somebody's coming for the throne. Yeah, uh, 
Marshall Arthur's uh he messaged me after the third event and he was like, How you doing? And I was like, Yeah, I'm already dead, just sort of playing for content. And he was like, We need to get paper events back so you can win by judge ruling some more. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I doubled down. I was like, Yeah, judge rulings and the natural gatekeeping of owning power are really the only things that prop me up in this community. <laughs> I'm comfortable making that joke because I have I do have an online top eight, so I can say that I can actually win in an open field and it's not just I'm one of the better players who happens to own twenty thousand dollars of power or whatever the fuck it costs more these than days. That. Though that is a very real field limiter twenty thousand dollars is barely or it's like just over the lotus nowadays oh is it yeah i don't know uh but doomsday on the weekend did not have a great showing outside of discover on kai sawatari had a top 16 but doomsday is one of those decks where six months ago people are like are we actually gonna have to ban thassa's oracle and now dressed down has changed the game quite a bit uh plus some of the other decks coming back it's just it shows you how weird uh you know the cylindrical nature of magic can be ragavan too that was not a player in vintage for a long time and being able to sort of snipe a doomsday pile or threaten a dash where they have to like play around it a little bit or whatever having more creatures and especially one that can interact with a doomsday pile all matters it's also uh sometimes what you see is a little bit different in vintage they always play two copies of thassa's oracle where in yep. legacy they're just like no i'll just never pitch it to force where in vintage people just embrace the fact that they're gonna have to do it at some point so just a little bit of a difference in deck building philosophy and vintage at first they were just like obviously we're gonna play four street wraith it took the legacy doomsday players a long time to get to four street wraith for a while it was just two and then maybe three and then four and then the hey maybe we should play edge of autumn yep i i looked at doomsday's meta share and win rate from recent challenge data because i i considered like do i fire a bullet on doomsday i have a non-zero number of reps with the deck and it's powerful and i remember it being just a terror last year and it's just not it's off the radar the win rates were low and it's not a big part of the metagame anymore but obviously still powerful speaking of powerful in the mox ruby event guess what did well again it was dredge breach. oh well that oh, too also dredge. well breach won the tournament scoreboard dredge but yeah dredge is present yeah so we see a dredge at eighth a dredge at ninth a dredge at 10th uh another one at 24th oh I, shit i skipped the one at 13th good good event yep. to be the bizarre deck once again well i think part of it's just it's the it's really good at preying upon the tinker decks like, even though your deck has Cage and Soul Guy Lantern or whatever, and Needles, the Bizarre deck is just made to beat you. They have 12 pitch counters. They have Force of Vigors. They're going to have the advantage. That And uh, one thing that happened last year was that they were just flat out dead to a Sphinx of the Steel Wind. And now they're all playing Bridge from Below. So they just beat Sphinx. Yeah, I had a... The year that I went to Paris for Eternal Weekend, I Dredge was my winning into top eight. And I had like a, I was on the draw for game three and I had like a really early tinker that got Citadel and, and stuff. And Andrea Mangucci was standing behind me and he was like, you didn't think that Blightsteel Colossus would win that game? And I was like, that wasn't even in my deck. On the draw against Dredge, Blightsteel's not going to win even if you turn one that tinker. Like, you need to, you need to combo them because they are, they are built to just go wide and smash and they they chump with a zombie, go to nine poison and kill you on the crackback. Like that's just not a play that's gonna work. And like Sphinx isn't good enough. 
they can force a vigor citadel. They can also pressure your life total, so you might not even have life for citadel. Some builds have creeping chill in them, some don't, but just being able to your opponent starts the game at eight life and you're at thirty four uh, or thirty two. Like that's a that's a significant thing to just happen for free. So interestingly, it takes until this event for shops to put up a top eight finish. Uh, and when it did, it was actually nettle cyst shops. So nice. this was a card that I tested in vintage, not the week after it came out, but like the following week. Because I had played a couple of like legacy and modern leagues with that card and it was just stupid. So I went like, why not vintage? And it was just okay. Shops is already kind of tight. Um, at, at least the aggro shops build is. And sometimes you end up like playing a thorn and locking yourself out from actually casting a, a nettle cyst in a very awkward way. Um, so I kind of like dropped those in the shops builds that, that I was playing. But glad somebody else got it to work. Yeah, Nettle Cyst also is a major non-bow with Arcbound Ravager. Like, you don't get to move pieces around because the Nettle Cyst shrinks as the Ravager grows. And in a a local, the one paper vintage event I've played this year, I was paired against Aggro Shops. And she had two Nettle Cysts and a Ravager. So Ravager was just full negative to activate. Uh, and like there wasn't even like an alpha strike where I make my the best blocks I can and then they pile everything onto one because it, it's just a serious non-bow in that situation. So uh, I have a question for you too, and maybe I'm the only one that does this, but when I list my opponent's decks in my descriptions for YouTube, I like being as accurate as possible. And I only faced shops once on the weekend. I had a long match against them. I never saw Golos. And they certainly weren't playing aggro or Ravenger or Nettlesis shops. It was just like, I am a deck with artifact prison cards. So I called it what Goldfish calls it with prison shops. And it just felt so wrong calling it that. I'm like, it's like calling like blue sky. Like, I don't know. Like, it just feels weird. Uh, like, I don't know. There, I don't know. Yeah. There's some indicators like Crucible of Worlds usually indicates that Golos is in the deck somewhere. Uh, Chromatic Lantern indicates that they're on some sort of uh, colored build. Like I played against a shops deck in a league that had turn one Mishra's Workshop, Chromatic Lantern, and then tinkered me into Sphinx of the Steelwind at some point in the game. And I know that like combo shops is a differentiated list on Goldfish. Like combo, prison, and aggro are their three shops differentiations. Uh, but they could have just been on like 2010 bunch of spheres shops i don't know that's what it seemed like they did have crucible like all the like taxing things no rod but they never played a golos in like three games and our games went long maybe they just never drew it yeah null rod and crucible indicate that golos was probably in there somewhere uh but maybe not maybe they just don't know about golos maybe they haven't played vintage in two years and just really wanted to play eternal weekend as far as i don't know my content goes I have moved to just labeling them match one, two, three, four, five, because so many decks right now in multiple formats are mush, where sometimes you finish a game and you don't actually know which of the decks your opponent was playing against. Like, you know, you saw 10 of their cards. If you, you know, beat them quickly playing a combo deck, like, do you know? Oh, are you blue, red, Delver? Are you blue, red, Delver list, Delver? Are you blue, red, uh, Ragavan Saga? or not Saga, Stand Still. Like, there's there's so many overlapping decks that I've just kind of stopped doing the deck names. 
but you're missing out on that sweet engagement where people tell you how wrong you are. I have only ever done the named each opponent's deck round by round in these three Eternal Weekend videos, the Legacy one and the two Vintage ones I released, because like, I, I feel like that's kind of a try-hard thing, where normally... Like, I, I really try to gear my content and my engagement with my community in the direction of learning, and there's something to learn in every match. It does, like, I don't really want people skimming through my chapters to find, like, a 2-0 versus Delver. Like, I don't want people doing that. So generally, I just do round one through five. But for these real events where I was actually representing an archetype over a larger sample size, uh, I did tag the... Yeah, I also did get tired of of me spending literally three seconds to pick a deck name. Like, click, click, click. Okay, this is Blue Red Delver. And then it's like, no, it's not Blue Red Delver. It's thing that is five cards different from Blue Red Delver. Like, okay. It's Ice Station Zebra, Phil. I, I will say I did a quasi-intentional um, algorithm hack on these vintage videos. As normally I record five rounds and my videos have, we mentioned it last week. I have that like mid league bumper. That's just like, Hey, thanks for watching. You're still here. Hit the subscribe button and don't forget my links. Now back to the league. And it's like just that fast. My actual words I say are, we're about halfway through the video. And that's how I lead into it. And I usually drop that about halfway through the video, like between round two and three, which in a league is about halfway through the video. But when you release 10 rounds, I'm not going to reshoot my bumper <laughs> like that. That's like 30 minutes of work to just drop it. So I dropped it after like round three and after round six, neither of which are halfway through the video. And I figured, you know, most people with brains would just be like, oh, yeah, OK, I get it. Like whatever or ignore it or whatever. The amount of comments I got when I dropped the legacy video was like, uh, we're not halfway through the video. We're at best a third away through the video. And it's just like, like the first one I replied, like, I'm not going to reshoot my bumper for this one thing. Like, that's a lot of work. Uh, it, it is clear to me in comments, slight side tangent to my side tangent, that the average person doesn't actually know what goes into video editing. And I don't expect them to. Like, it's a it's a specialized thing. Most people don't have those skills. I didn't two years ago. Uh, and I'm I'm still learning as I go. But to comment as if you do know those things is preposterous. Anyway, back to my main tangent. People were like, like I, I got actual comments that were like, perhaps you would consider shooting a different one that says we are partway through the video or something similar. It's like, is it bothering you that much? <laughs> like, thanks for the engagement, though. And like, I was surprised at this response for the legacy video. And then I just <laughs> leaned into it for the two vintage ones. I was like, I mean, like, there's the practical side of like, I'm going to put my little blurb in there. I, I shot it like it it does a, it serves a function and I'm not going to reshoot another one. But at the same time, I there was like a little snicker of like, <laughs> people aren't going to like this. And I was right. I got a bunch of comments about like, we're not halfway through the video. I did get a really weird comment, though, uh, where like after it was on the vintage one where I went seven and two, I feel like I played pretty well. We had a good tournament on camera. I never once did I say like, oh, I messed that up because I'm recording or anything. And somebody took it upon themselves to be like, I know it's a little more editing, but you could record this whole thing and then add commentary later if you want to play better. <laughs> and it was, it's like, okay, first of all, I think I played pretty well. Never complained, never said a word about the fact that I'm recording. 
and a little bit of editing doesn't even begin to respect the prog the pro the project that that would be that was a nine hour tournament it it boiled down to like two and a half hours of footage but still like i would have to add commentary over those two and a half hours which means i would have to watch it once to know what i was about to say to run through it again i could record two or three more entire videos in the time it would take to add voiceover later over that tournament and I think the quality would be worse. I think that like the in situ like live thought process is much more interesting and informative than explaining it later. But if you don't actually know what goes into anything, maybe you know, don't talk about it. All right. Thanks. For if the we're going to talk about wild comments that we've gotten recently, oh please read this one. I love it. <laughs> oh, do you want me to read the one I sent today? Oh, is that not what you're talking about? <laughs> no, but I'll absolutely do that. You have one. to read that comment. Just oh okay so sometimes you get a comment and like you don't know where the person is coming from like what walk of life they're in um okay so this was a comment left on this mono white Oketra's monument video that I played one mana squadron hawk is indeed very sexy but where do be the batter skull squaw squaw mutter hacker release the birds if war yeah so we get to play the google translate internet brain poison zoomer talk or just like i don't know is it a nine-year-old like <laughs> that, that sort of stuff getting those is always a delight i yeah. never delete them I, I usually just thumbs up them i don't respond i don't delete i'm just like yeah i'm gonna let this ride yeah i just i just like literally laughed out loud sent it to these two and i was just like this is this is awesome I had a friend comment on one of my vintage videos because I guess in my dress down PO uh, video, I was wearing a button up shirt. They're like, oh, well, I see you dressed up to dress down. And YouTube deleted <laughs> that comment twice because he posted it twice. And they just like auto flagged it for like sexual harassment. Oh, fair enough. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess it if I have to air one way or the other, I'd prefer more sexual harassment comments be deleted than not ones stay around. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so, Phil, what were you going to say? Yeah, the, the story I was going to tell is I posted one of my hot videos to Reddit and somebody commented like a deck list would be nice. And someone like responds like, bruh, click the link. It's in the video description, just like every time. And they respond like, well, I can't do that. I'm at work. Like, so you can click a deck list link, but not a YouTube link. Wait, was this a modern video? I th uh, No, I think it was a legacy one. The modern subreddit, sorry if you are all modern subredditors, are a bunch of assholes. <laughs> and they go after you super hard if you don't tag all the cards in every post and post the deck list with your deck video link. With your, like, video link. Like, they will come after you. Yeah, I, I have definitely found that in the modern subreddit, if you do, like, a paragraph or two mini article, they're happy with that. Where it's like... I played this. I liked it for the following reasons. This was a cool innovation. Here's a link directly to the deck list, and here's the VOD if you want to check it out. I found that that flies over there. Uh, I don't I don't tag cards, but usually someone is there in minutes, like doing it for me in the first comment. But I don't know. I just don't post on Reddit anymore. I gave up on that garbage platform. Yeah, I, I only post my modern videos there if I like know they're going to be bangers. Like when I recorded Soul Sisters, like, that video is going to pop off. It's it's just the sort of thing that does. It has that casual appeal. So it's like, okay, I will I will spend 10 minutes writing a post to get my extra thousand views on this video. Sure. 
Yeah, I haven't reached into the Reddit hole in a while. Uh, but yeah, I, I would make the leap for something modern that's cool. I, I will not post in the legacy Reddit period uh, for any reason. And I don't know if there is a vintage one. I just haven't looked. I'm sure there is, but... Um, the answer is technically there is, and I like post post stuff there when I do it, but like, you'll 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 get your five upvotes there. It's that sort of thing. All right, whatever. Uh, my... It's better than the com. Oh, the Manadrain. Uh, how it's fallen from grace. Anyway, speaking of modern, we're at like an hour forty into this pod. Oh shit. Uh, okay, yeah, Turbo. Let's talk about modern. Yeah, let's do this real cool quick. Shit going on there. So there was a big magic event in Las Vegas um, this weekend alongside all this Eternal Weekend stuff. And I really wanted to highlight uh, one of the top four deck lists uh, that was a Infect deck list. And specifically, it was a green-black deck list that was playing Phyrexian Crusader. Now, this is normally not a card that's played in Infect. It is slow. That is a three drop in a deck that wants to have you dead on like turn two or turn three that that's a no-go but if you look at the uh okay i should probably read phyrexian crusader this is not a commonly played enough card that people just know it so it is one colorless and two black for a two two zombie knight first strike protection from red and white in fact so um could could one of you just uh list off a couple of the most common modern removal spells for me real quick unholy heat prismatic ending lightning bolt solitude Fury. Teferi. Path to Exile. Right? Shit. Right. This thing is damn near unkillable in modern right now. And this is one of the best examples of a built for a weekend deck list that I have ever seen. Phyrexian Crusader is just like the card that if you want a sticky threat, this is superb. Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit before we went live. Uh, Phil mentioned he wanted to talk about this, and I brought up another Crusader from that block that I won a tournament. I won the When I won the Star City Invitational, I was playing Death and Taxes in a field where Death and Taxes didn't exist. It was a modern tournament. Like Mono White Taxes was just not really on the radar. Uh, I didn't invent the list. I found it somewhere, but it wasn't like tiered or really expected. And I had four Mirror and Crusaders in the deck. And the tier one deck at the time was Death Shadow that did not play a single way to remove that card in the main deck. And usually they had like one Kozilex return in the sideboard if they had if they had any postboard answer at all. And that Mirren Crusader was basically, again, true name nemesis, unkillable, untouchable. There's a camera match in the finals of the Star City Invitational playing for 20 grand where my opponent just concedes turn three. I just like turn three on the played uh, Mirren Crusader and he was like, okay. Next game, why even bother? The best part of this story is that the weekend after this event, I message Brian, not knowing him yet, and I say, hey, I'm the Legacy Death and Taxes guy. I saw you did well with this in Modern. Is this deck actually good? And the gist of his response was, no, don't play this. Nope. It was good for that weekend. Yes, it was a it was a specific field. It was a high skill field. It was only people who qualified for the Star City Invitational. It was a high stakes field. Winning the Invitational matters a lot. And the two decks in Modern at the time were Grixis Shadow and Eldrazi Tron. And I was playing a deck with unkillable threats for Grixis Shadow and eight Wastelands for Eldrazi Tron. And also my creatures were bigger than Trons. It was like a four Blade Splicer, four Flicker Wisp deck. Like you flicker your Splicer and Eldrazi Tron can't get through six power first strike. 
neither can Death Shadow, for the record. And, it, and like Phil, like, like he said, messaged me, and I was like, no, don't play this. And it wasn't good at any point after that weekend. And it, it just, it did what it needed to do, which is what this Phyrexian Crusader did this weekend. Uh, we're not here to talk about my glory days. We're here to talk about Phyrexian Crusader being unkillable in current modern. So um, another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Crimson Vow injected some new stuff into modern, uh, very specifically uh, Cultivator Colossus. Oof. That card's absurd. Uh, I don't have the exact text memorized, but the gist of it is... I'll pull it up. When it comes into play, you get to draw a card, you can put an extra land into play, and if you do, you repeat the process, and it just creates these absolutely absurd board states where you play one, dump a crap ton of lands out of your hand, and then get a whole bunch of, like, Field of the Dead triggers or Valakut triggers, you know, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, it's a, a seven mana star star trample plant beast. Power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. And the the trigger is what Phil said. Uh, put a draw a card, put a land into play. If you do, repeat. And I, yeah, I've seen the moto screenshots too. Luckily, I haven't played against this idiot yet. But I've seen moto screenshots with something like twenty five amulet triggers on the stack. It's it's not coiling oracle. It's not like look at draw your top card. If it's a land, you put it in. You draw a card and then put any land from your hand into play. And amulet has all the bounce lands. Plays a high land density anyway. You you really do just get to shred through the deck and if you have amulet in play the game should end like in all reasonable worlds the game will just end oh uh yes i have i have not lived through a turn after that thing has hit play just 100 percent mortality right there yeah it looks like it it is not in either of the amulet lists that top aided vegas i think it was kind of new and i'm going to ask a really stupid question is crimson vow actually legal in paper yet because i don't know if the answer is yes uh that's a good question it may not have been legal in vegas i'm trying to remember when the pre-release was because i i ran into this problem the other day where like i was looking at a deck list and i'm like why isn't this here like it's not legal idiot and i was like what what i've I've been playing with this card for two weeks online i believe crimson vow no i i do think that it came that that set is released i i know my lgs is holding two boxes for me and they wouldn't be doing that if the set wasn't legal so i think it's been out about a week and a half may or may not have been legal in vegas and this tech may or would not have been known yet if it was legal so we're we're dealing on kind of a tight time frame with that information i have a modern 5k coming up in two weeks and i have not been working on my lotus lurus breach deck so i need to uh start updating a card that i was really looking at was slaughter pact for the sideboard and after looking at the top eight of vegas i think i might need to reevaluate that a little bit I was sort of looking at it as a free way of killing Eidolon of uh, the Great Revel out of the... Like, you board it in, you activate Wishclaw, you get this card and you kill Eidolon. But it looks like Burn just, like, wasn't really a deck that showed up. I guess, in theory, you could kill a Primeval Titan with it or this Colossus, but then you have to pay three mana on your turn, which isn't really how you win the game. I don't know. I feel like these elemental decks can't be good matchups for Burn. Just, there's no price of progress in the format, and solitude and fury both answer eidolon without taking two damage and it's it's two cards but that's usually worth two cards and it's really hard to cheese with creatures in a format with solitude and fury in it might as well twiddle a lotus then right yeah exactly ignore that shit so i was so surprised that like the winning deck list had croxa in it croxa is a card that i i shit on like every time that i get it's gonna be expensive to go to the bathroom phil no, it's the same one every time. It's destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
You've heard of a poop knife, but have you heard of the Kroxa wipes? I'm picturing just a uh, uncut Watsy roll of just Kroxas, uh, foil Kroxas that you just tear off and wipe your ass with. <laughs> the classic PTR okay. band for life for wiping your ass with a card move. Now that I've recollected myself a little bit, um, Kroxa has just been this card that like every time I, I play it in Legacy, it is just like beyond a disappointment, especially since like people tend to submit it in deck lists that like also have some colorless mana sources. So not every card, like not every mana pip can like potentially cast this card. And when you line Kroxa up versus Uro, like it's very clear which one of those cards is better. But Modern is a format that is currently devoid of Uro. So having something sticky like Kroxa in an incredibly low to the ground deck otherwise with like ragavans dragon rage channelers and stuff of that nature actually ends up being respectable yeah croxa not only doesn't have to compete with uro but it fits into the colors and stipulations of Luris decks where you even if you're not escaping the croxa you are machine gunning it with Luris every turn and it lets you play a backdoor four drop in your Luris deck so something that I found with Modern, and maybe this is only because I'm a combo player, but a lot of players feel like, and maybe this is not different from Legacy, but from my perspective, talking to combo players, it is. They feel like they need an answer to everything. Like, I'll post a video, and the comments I'll get is like, but you don't have an opt to this. It's like, do you need an opt to everything? Like, a lot of Modern players, because the format is so wide, and I think it's even wider than Legacy, if I'm being honest. So do I. Yeah, there's just, like, more playable decks. Like, it feels a lot like Legacy did in, like, 2013, in my opinion. And because the format's so wide, people are like, well, you don't have an out to this deck. It's like, yeah, but that deck is, like, 0.8% of the format. Why do I need an out to it? And only, like, 75% of those decks play the card you're describing. Like, I just would rather not have that out and play a better card. But in the comment section, people are like, you're ridiculous. How can you not be playing around this? I believe that the way to play around a lot of things is just do your own broken thing and try to kill your opponent. I have taken that attitude towards sideboarding a lot in Modern, where it's just like, uh, if I win the match versus this deck anyway, it's just because I do my own thing, and every card that I board in is a card that's diluting my deck, keeping me off of my main plan, yada 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 yada. Um, when you can't hit everything, that's reasonable, especially since Modern is a format of like, rotating deck quality like there's good weekends to play affinity there's good weekends to play graveyard decks and stuff like that because like there's just there's just too much the format is too wide for you to cover everything yeah i like on on both of your points uh on my legacy eternal weekend video the the bant deck splashing black there's zero basics in that deck and somebody commented on my three hour long 10 round video where i went eight and two Insta dead to Blood Moon. That was the whole comment. And it's like, okay, point me to a single deck playing Blood Moon. And point me to how many Blood Moons they have versus my Force of Wills plus negation plus outs to it. Like, once it's resolved, like, once I have a couple mana ahead of me, like, sure, if I keep a forceless hand against Moon Stompy, I'm gonna lose. But there have been iterations of legacies past where moon zombie is a premier deck and being insta dead to blood moon is disqualifying but we're not in one right now and reading the metagame uh 
I also got a comment uh, on I played Werewolf Zoo. It was just like a bunch of werewolves with Collected Company. The deck was not good, but it was a lot of fun. And somebody commented, why are you not playing the best sideboard card in Modern, Veil of Summer? And I asked back, like, I'm in Aether Vile deck and a Cavern of Souls deck to beat Counterspells, and all the removal is red and white right now. What is Veil of Summer for? And they replied back, the black deck's removals. (laughs) It's like, okay, Uh, we're not getting anywhere with this conversation. But yeah, context matters. You don't need an answer to everything. And if your deck is proactive, that is an answer to a lot of things. Um, Like that's that's like the dredge thing in Vintage, like the bizarre thing where it's like, uh, do you keep a hand hoping to cantrip into your Ravenous Trap or your Tabernacle where you might just be dead already? Do you mulligan for Leyline where they might just play a hollow one and kill you with that against your crippled mulligan hand? Like having a powerful proactive plan in modern hammer time, like do you bring do you play an answer to collector oof? Or do you just accept that if your hammer gets knocked off a creature, it's on the ground now? Cause you have Sigarda's aid, you have these other things where you don't actually need to activate any artifacts. Like that there's just calculations to be made there. I've got a great kind of side story there. So I was playing a modern league uh recently. I don't remember exactly what the deck was, but I was playing something that had Karn the Great Creator, and I got paired against two artifact decks, and I sideboarded out the Karn the Great Creators against both of them, because like the four mana was just too slow against what they were doing, even though they were, you know, in theory, a card that might have been good against the artifact deck. And I am just waiting for the comments of like, why did you sideboard out Karn versus the two artifact decks? Because that four mana card doesn't matter. Because, like, by the time that I have hit turn four, I've either already won or lost this game because I've either lived long enough that my more impressive cards can start winning or, like, I've already lost the game. Yeah, you just took 11 poison on turn two with a Karn in your hand. Good job. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. The Karns were in my amulet deck that I played. Yeah. Um, The Karns were not necessary. The, the, the Titans did just fine at killing. <laughs> I like the idea of removing Karns from your deck, so I really enjoyed this story. Yep, good story. Uh, I'm sure we'll all do that in the future. Just, listeners, the Epic Storm is too fast. You should cut your Karns. A 4-drop's not going to play in that matchup. This ad was a paid promotion by the Epic Storm. In in Legacy, Karns a 2-drop. I will bill you later, Bryant. Alright, do we have anything else to say about Modern Vintage or anything but Legacy? We're approaching two hours. I'm hungry. What do we got? I have a quick shout out. Damn it. There's someone in the combo or the Legacy Storm community discord where I post a lot about Cycle Storm and Popper in there. And user Dirty Mac posted a suggestion that blew my mind. And I'm not sure why I haven't thought of it. I've been playing Darkness and on a bunch of my videos, people are complaining about how expensive it's making my deck and how it's unaffordable now. And they came up with a solution that's actually just better than playing Darkness. I could be playing Spore Frog, Prophecy All-Star, because I started splashing green two weeks ago. So not only is it cheap, it fits one of my splash colors, but it counts towards Reaping the Graves and Songs of the Damned. My mind literally just blew at work today. I'm like, how do I buy Japanese full Spore Frogs? Who has them? How do I get these? So super excited that once this is over... I'm going to go buy Spore Frogs on Magic Online. 
I know you're used to swimming in these Japanese foil waters, but holy guacamole, you gotta you gotta PM me the number when you find those Japanese foil prophecy spore frogs, because I imagine it will be shocking. I mean, I I owned a regular foil spore frog for an EDH deck back in the day when I did that. And I remember like hunting that down and like prying that out of someone's trade binder was actually difficult. Like that was sought after for casual table reasons. Yeah, it's been reprinted since those days. Like I I think that card was like a $50, $60 foil back when like Dark Confidant was like a $50 foil. Like it, it was like a chase foil in the early days of EDH and it does get occasional popper play. And like the more cards that get printed, the better it is. Like I've seen it in... uh marin edh decks marin's the four drop that you gain experience counters when a creature dies and then you can put a creature reanimate a creature in every end step that costs less than your experience so like spore frog is if it's in play you just pop it get an experience counter go to your end step it's back and like there, there's just stuff like that there's all sorts of engines around spore frog and it, it's gotten a reprint since those early days but i imagine the original printing is still just hotter than the sun in the early days of Legacy, Angry Tradewind Survival was a pinnacle of the format, and yep. it played Genesis into Spore Frog. And there was a lot of decks in the format that literally Hard just lock. couldn't beat it. And they'd be like, Good luck, all right, goblins. next game. And their out to it was like, I guess we're going to board in like Graveyard Hate for Genesis. Yeah, I was not playing Legacy at that time, but I was in game stores where my friends did. And I remember one of my friends like, buying taigas and survivals and stuff for that deck i'm sure they were like 10 15 dollars at the time and i should have done the same should have uh, bought dual lands instead of those packs of onslaught yeah fucking onslaught whatever Wasted good energy. came from that set anyway yeah just just one of the most <laughs> heinously broken sets of cards in magic's history that almost every eternal format relies on for their very existence Skirk Prospector and Goblin Pile Driver? Is that what we're yep, talking about? Yep, that's definitely what I'm talking about. Thanks for listening to our episode. <laughs> All right, uh, for real, uh, anyone else want to have a closing thought? Let's uh, hope that by the time this episode's live that we have a band announcement. Well, it goes out on Friday, and they only do that on Mondays, so that won't be true. All but right. let's hope that uh, something moves in the right direction before we have to record again. 